The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. Verse 5. Likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, God, as we come to the end of this book that we have been reading, we ask that you would again confirm to us the ancient truth that you have recorded here. God, that the truths that we get from this will inform the decisions that we make so that we may move into the world to do your will with confidence and wisdom. And so, Lord, this morning we ask that you would open the hearts of everyone here to be able to receive that which you have for them. That you would be in my preaching and in their hearing, that you would anoint us with your Holy Spirit so that we could understand some of the depthless truth that you have for us. Lord, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. (coughs) Momentous things are happening. It is the Christmas season. And that is fantastic. It is the Christmas season and every Marine has received a Christmas gift this year. A massive, wonderful, amazing Christmas gift named General Mad Dog Mattis. Amen. As the Secretary of Defense. Mad Dog Mattis is... I, I almost giggle when I talk about him. He's so amazing. His call sign in Iraq was chaos. He is probably, literally, without hyperbole, the coolest person that has ever lived other than Jesus. That's probably, that's probably too much. He's probably not that cool. He's super cool. Especially for those uh, of us who, who were in the Marine Corps or those of us who served in Iraq underneath his command. Uh, the guy is amazing. And the coolest part about it is all of the super cool General Mattis quotes that have echoed down through the ages are now being rehashed every five minutes on Facebook over and over and over again. 
And they're really cool. Some of them are fake. If, for example, you've heard uh, the, the quote, um, uh, teach a man to build a fire and he'll stay warm for a day, light a man on fire and he'll stay warm for the rest of his life, that is not an official James Mattis quote. It's not official. That's an unofficial, he didn't say that. But there are some really, really key and critical quotes about war fighting. And they dovetail in with what we're talking about here because Peter has just finished writing a book about conflict with the forces of evil in the world that we live in. And I know sometimes uh, when, as, as we've gone through this book, it doesn't seem like this book is necessarily that, necessarily that applicable because, you know, nobody's dipping us in oil and lighting us on fire. The, the, the persecution that we suffer... It seems small, right? It seems maybe insignificant at times. But it's instructive as we go through this to pull out from this those pieces of truth that apply to the life that we live right now where we are. As we've talked about over and over again, as Christians, we will face opposition in this world. And if you're not facing opposition you may not be preaching the gospel or living the way that you're being called to live. Because if you live out the gospel the way Jesus lived the gospel, you will come into conflict with a dark world. And so Peter has spent uh, the last major part of this letter talking about what this conflict looks like and how we're supposed to fight it. And we, at the beginning, we talked about how we are in conflict with an ancient evil Right? We're not in conflict with, with, with like a, a, an evil that, ro- that arose like in the last 10 years or the last 20 years. Right? People will look, oh, well, maybe it's since the 1960s when the dirty, dirty hippies came out. That's when everything went down the tubes. But it's not like that. We have been in conflict with the same evil since the beginning of human history. And so we, we come to grips with an ancient evil by looking at timeless truth that is exposed to us in Scripture. We we deal with ancient evil, with timeless truth, and Peter is going to to round out this part, this segment of timeless truth with a closing thought that will encapsulate the whole argument. See, Christians should seek to resist ancient evil with timeless truth, and he begins by examining the heart of people as they come into conflict with ancient evil. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Difficult as it may seem to us, as we come into contact with intransigent evil, we are to handle it with a spirit of humility. That, that, that kind of is counterintuitive, because when we come into conflict with things, at least for me, when I come into conflict with that which is hard, I want to bow up. Buddy, I want to I stick my chest out. I want to be the biggest gorilla in the gorilla house. Okay? I mean, if we're going to dance, we're going to dance. You know? Let's say Mike Sheets gets up in my face. Mike, he's a big dude. 
Well, I'm not saying Mike Sheets ain't gonna win, but he ain't gonna like it, okay? Right, that's the way we wanna handle intransigent evil, right? Uh, General Mattis encapsulated this kind of mentality, right? This warrior ethos, this kind of what are you gonna do ethos when he said, when you get back from Iraq, and you, you, you find yourself in front of a, a war protester. Smile and shake his hand. Then wink at his girlfriend. <laughs> right? Because this is this kind of, this, this, this ethos, right? Where, where you know deep inside you're the baddest dude. Right? If he were to rewrite the, the 23rd Psalm, it would be, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm the biggest, baddest dude in the valley. That's the way we want to handle the spiritual forces of evil in the world. But Paul is telling us that is not how we handle evil. You cannot handle evil in your own pride. And if you handle evil through your own pride, by searching yourself and looking to your own wisdom and your own strength, you will fail every time. Because you are playing the enemy's game on the enemy's ground. See... God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. And so we are to humble ourselves before God, because that is the way, the means, the manner by which His power enters us, so that we can get back in the fight. God does not share His glory with His creatures. He just doesn't. He is a terrible and a jealous God, and for God to be jealous is okay. Because He really is all that. It's bad for us to be jealous because, well, we're not. But God is jealous of His glory, and He will not share His glory with men. The sad history of mankind since the beginning of time is one of vying with God for mastery, for vying with God to make our name great. In the New Testament, Jesus describes how God will exalt the weak, the poor and the humble, and then builds his ministry on this great reversal where the weak will be strong and the poor will be rich and the strong will be crushed. Everything that he does is built on that. Right? In fact, he says, Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you that are powerful. Woe to you that are important. Woe to you that seem holy. Because yours isn't the kingdom of God. Peter saw firsthand the humility of Jesus, right? The Peter who's writing this letter is the same Peter that when Jesus comes up to him with a towel wrapped around his waist, he says, you ain't washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. I'm not going to wash you. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, if I don't do this, you have no place with me. And so Peter repents and says, therefore, Lord, wash all of me. Right? Paul went further describing his afflictions that God sent to him to keep, his hum keep him humble. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. These are the revelations that he has experienced. These are the amazing things that he's done. I mean, I want you to think about what it's like if you can go around and heal people. I want you to think about what that's going to do to your head. I have a good sermon. Somebody says, hey, good sermon, Andrew. I'm like, man, that's awesome. My head gets huge and I can't get through the door. Imagine what would happen if somebody came down front and I like healed them. What kind of deep, dark pride would get awoken inside of me? 
right? If I could, if I could, if I went over and some somebody brought me a little girl and I raised the dead. And so what happens to Paul? It says, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness insults hardship persecution and calamities for when I am weak then I'm strong see Christians should humble themselves under the mighty hand of God so they can so that God can exalt us and use us in his own time as Christians our strength comes from our weakness Because the grace of God is found in our humility. Repentance is an act of humility. And nobody comes into the presence of God without (coughs) repentance. Accepting Christ as the payment for your sins is an act of humility. (coughs) And nobody receives the Holy Spirit unless they are born again. Brothers and sisters, we tap into the tremendous, life-changing Satan-defeating, world-altering power of the Son of God and the Holy Spirit through repentance and changed life. We don't enter the door on our feet. We enter the door on our knees. We enter the door by laying at the foot of the cross and putting all of our sins and all of the supposed act of righteousness that we've done and sacrificing them on the altar to God. That's how we get the power to be able to fight evil in this world. The strength of a Christian comes through our weakness. Get that into your head. I've had people ask me before, well, how should I go fight the devil? I'm like, man, don't go, go picking fights with the devil, bro. You don't want to pick a fight with the devil. You go out and do what God told you to do. And if you come into contact with some demonic force, God will give you the strength to be able to deal with it. But if you go out looking for the devil because you think you're, think you're Johnny Cool, you got some Bible verses in your, in your belt, you're going to go out and pick a fight. You're going to be like the seven sons of Scevia who go and try to cast out a demon. And they look at him and they say, well, Jesus we know and Paul we've heard of. We're not really sure who you are. And then they all get beat up and run down the street naked. You don't want to be that guy. Christian, as Christians, we must seek out strength to overcome in God. But we must also prepare ourselves as the war rages around us. Right? So this strength comes upon us, but it comes upon us in a particular way. Right? It's manifested in a particular way. Right? In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, it says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring light, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood around the world. And here comes my second James Mattis quote. Brother James Mattis said, Smile at every man and have a plan to kill him because the most important six inches on the battlefield are between your ears 
And while that may, on the surface, seem overly violent and completely not applicable, I want you to think about this. What he's trying to get across to people. The idea that when you are in a fight, your head needs to be on a swivel 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You don't get a day off. In your battle against the forces of evil in the world, you don't get a day off. And it's not a thousand yards away shooting through a scope. You're in a knife fight in a trench when you're fighting evil. It's right up close, right on you, right now. If you're going to do that, if you're going to survive, you need to know who you're fighting. You need to know what the ancient evil that you deal with is. You should know your enemy, his goals, and you should be aware of the real presence of malevolence and evil in this world. See, brothers and sisters, the devil is real. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's not a cartoon character. He's a real dude, and he wants you real dead. He's the old serpent from Genesis 3, and he's been causing problems from the very beginning. In Genesis, he tempts Adam and Eve to to question God and to disobey God and in the process introduces original sin into the world, right? He appears at other times and in different ways. In Job 1, he is Hasatan, the accuser, who asks God if he can test Job. In 1 Chronicles, Satan leads David into sin by encouraging him to conduct a census of the kingdom. In 1 Kings 22, Satan receives God permission to deceive the prophets of Samaria and lead the nation of Israel into war. In Zechariah 3.2, Satan is described as a prosecuting attorney standing and accusing the high priest. In the New Testament, he is described as the force that Jesus has come to defeat and whom his followers will have to contend with. He is very real and he is very present. Jesus describes him as the Lord of the world several times. He said he saw him cast down from heaven like a falling star. In the desert, Jesus overcomes his power of temptation. And on the cross, he breaks his control of death. And while his ultimate defeat is sure, his children can, will, and do come into conflict with him on a daily basis. In Ephesians, Paul describes him as the prince of the powers of the air. And later in the same book, he will warn his people. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of evil in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the the heavenly places. He's saying the conflict that you are dealing with is not temporal. It is not worldly. It is spiritual in nature. You don't fight spiritual evil in a worldly way. The book of Daniel describes demonic forces that hold sway over regions, strongholds of demonic power. Paul will clarify this by describing that while idols that pagans worship are useless, lifeless, pieces of wood or clay that the gods that those idols represent are in fact demons. 
Now I, am, I imply what pagan sacrifice that they offer to demons and not to God, and I don't want you to participate with demons, he warns. This is why 1 Peter 5.8 says that Satan is our enemy and that he prowls through the world like a ravening lion seeking our destruction. See, the devil hates God and has since the beginning, and he hates human beings as God's image bearers. In most cases, he seeks to draw men away from their proper worship of God by deceiving them with half-truths and lies and faulty logic. And in other cases, he causes real physical harm to distract and dishearten. Peter's clear. Well, the devil is powerful. And while he is a dangerous enemy, Christians can overcome the devil through their firmness of their faith. This means holding on to the truths of God that have been revealed to us as we face demonic lies. I want you to think about the way that Jesus dealt with the devil. Right? He's in the desert, standing toe-to-toe with the devil. And the devil lies to him. And the devil tries to distract him. And the devil tries to get him to do things against the will of God. And what is... What does Jesus do? He stands there and he quotes scripture back to him. And he stands on the promises of God. And he he falls into obedience to God. And, And I want you to hear me. If this is the way that Jesus makes conflict with the devil, it is the way that we are to have conflict with the devil. He also wants his readers to understand that Christians can resist the schemes of the devil through their unity with the body of Christ. See, what happens is we become isolated in our struggles against personal sin. Right? We we get isolated, beat back in a corner in the dark, ashamed of the things that we do and the ways that we feel. And we get jammed in a corner and beat up. Beat down. What Peter wants his people to do is to lift their heads up and look around and say, you're not unique. What you're struggling with, whatever you're struggling with today, is not unique to you. Brother, I've said this over and over again. You are not a special, unique snowflake. And that means that what you're struggling with isn't unique to you. Other people struggle with it. The people in... Asia Minor are not the only people that are being persecuted right now. Persecution is all over the world. You're not the only person who ever has been mocked by a family member because you believe in Christ. You're not the only person that's ever had a problem with a child who's rejected the faith. You're not the only person who's ever lost their job or lost a loved one. These things happen. They are part of the condition of being a Christian in a fallen world. They're part of living in the world, but not being of the world. And if you will pick your head up and you will look around at the other Christians around you, then you can gain strength. You can gain community. You can gain fellowship. And in fact, the pain that you have, the struggle that you have, will unite you with the people around you. I was having a conversation a couple of days ago with a kid in my class and we were talking about brainwashing. We were talking about being in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M and I'll just say it, the hazing that happens there. And I said, man, it wasn't fun and I didn't enjoy it, but I'm closer to the men that I went through with 
than, than, than I am with pretty much anybody else. Because shared trauma builds tight bonds. And the shared trauma of conflict with evil unites Christians far better than any kind of weak platitudes or little sayings or poems. If you can look in the eye of a man who suffered as a son or a daughter of Christ the way that you have, there's a bond there that nothing can break. See, the strength imparted by the Holy Spirit for battle in humility is manifested in the truths of Scripture and the perseverance of the faith and the unity in the body of Christ. That's how the strength gets worked out. Right? We don't, we don't get the power of God and we start to glow and we get a big old sword and a shield and we go out there and like duke it out like, like, the, like the Marine in the Marine commercial fighting the swamp monster. That's not how we do this. The power of the Holy Spirit comes on us and gives us the ability to resist through the power of Scripture, through the unity with our brothers, through the perseverance of the faith. And so what's the upshot of this? Brothers and sisters, you need to have hope. You need to know that this is going to turn out okay. That what you're suffering is not unique to you. So 1 Peter 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's the third Mattis quote. General Mattis was given control of the Marine Division that went into Fallujah. First time they went into Fallujah, they were in there causing panic and havoc. And then higher power pulled them back, right? Said, you, got, you guys got to stop destroying everything you see. Pull back a little bit. And so this is what General Mattis said. He said, I'm going to plead with you. I'm pulling back. I'm going to plead with you. Figure this out on your own. Don't cross us. Because if you do, your, survivals, your survivors will write about what we do here for 10,000 years. And we did too. About six months later, we went and flattened that place. And as cool as that sounds, people won't remember the Battle of Fallujah in probably 200 years. The things that we did there, the people that were there will be forgotten. But you know what won't be forgotten? You know what will echo through the ages after the sun stops burning? The name of a man or a woman who comes to Christ. That is the only truly eternal thing that you can ever have a part in. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. We will ultimately be victorious. The suffering of a Christian is temporary. Ancient truths of the Bible confirm to us that the suffering of God's people is always temporary. God can and does step in to rescue His people from utter destruction. And even if we die, we go on to an eternity in the presence of God. 
More than this, God will restore, calm, strengthen, and establish us in His kingdom. Christians were redeemed for a purpose, and we must respond by embracing that for which we have been chosen. If we know and love Jesus, our future is secure no matter what the current situation. And we must place our faith in that. 1 John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. We should celebrate His dominion and His victory, because it is secure. Christians should confidently celebrate the inevitable victory of a God over death, sin, and the devil. Because it's already been written. And so, when we finally come down to the end of the book of 1 Peter, what we find is that this message that Christians should overcome the ancient evil of this world by humbly preparing in the hope of God's final victory. We've got to fight the devil humbly. This means fighting the devil on God's terms, in God's ways, and not our own. When Peter stood in front of Jesus and he blustered and he postured about what he would do, when the end came, Jesus looked him in the eyes and said, Peter, Peter, the devil is asked to sift you today like wheat. Brothers and sisters, if we attempt to go in and fight evil under our own power, we too will be sifted like wheat. We will be weighed and measured and found wanting because we do not fight under our own power, but in humility we fight the fight in the power of God. We've got to fight the devil diligently. As Christians, we need to be hard targets. This means preparing ourselves constantly and being on the alert constantly. Jesus describes the devil as the father of lies and he is a crafty old snake that changes shape and form over time. To some, he appears as an angel of light bringing new revelation, new truths that will trump An old, outmoded gospel. Came to Muhammad disguised as an angel named Gabriel and gave him the Koran. He came to Joseph Smith disguised as the angel Moroni to give him the Book of Mormon. To others, he's a likable counterpoint to the overbearing weight of religion. We've seen this, right? You ever watch a movie that depicts depicts Satan now? He's not a bad guy. He's a likable guy. He drives a sports car. He's funny. Even if he's bad, he's not that bad. Al Pacino plays him. And everybody likes Al Pacino. He comes across as impish. Misunderstood. He just wants people to be free, bro. I want you to be free. Do what you want to do. His most effective disguise, though has been as a cartoon character with big horns and a forked tail. Somebody that is easily ignored and easily forgotten 
He disguises himself as a mythological creature because he does not want us to know that he exists. It is, in fact, so much easier to allow people to worship him without knowing it. So I come back to the example of the atheist association in Kansas that is putting a statue of the devil on the courthouse steps as a joke. And the joke is on them because that's their true God. He has created a modern religion of secular humanism and it's probably the greatest work of mischief in his entire history. But you need to be aware of who this guy is. He is evil incarnate and he wants to ruin your life. The devil seeks to tempt you to sin so he can accuse you in front of a holy God and drive a wedge between you and God. If he can, he will keep you from coming to Christ. If he can't keep you from coming to Christ, he'll do the next best thing. He'll seek to make you complacent, timid, and carnal so that you're of no use in the kingdom. And so the first step in resisting the devil is acknowledging the nature of the threat. The next step is to be self-controlled. See, the single most effective weapon that the devil has in his arsenal to harm you is your own ingrained proclivity to sin. Most of the time, he doesn't have to do anything major to trap you and hurt you except to tell you a couple lies and hand you the gun. Devil going to give you enough rope and you'll hang yourself. Heck, you'll probably steal the rope from him and fight him for it. No, I want to hang myself. Your desires are not the measure of truth or righteousness. The consistent message of our culture is to follow your heart regardless of the consequences. And let me, if you hear nothing, hear this. Your heart is the worst possible guide you could ever follow. Amen. Your heart is an idol factory. And it will lead you down a bad road every time. Brothers and sisters, I tell you this from personal experience. Every major mistake I've made in my life came from following my heart. John 1, 2, 1, John, 1 John 2.16 describes the things that destroy us as the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so the single most important thing that a Christian can do to resist evil is to acknowledge that their desires are not and should not be the driving force in their life. Instead of pandering to our desires, we should crucify them to the will of God. Jesus told us that if any man would be his disciple, he must daily pick up his cross and follow him. Paul said that we are to to offer ourselves, our souls and bodies, as a sacrifice to God. That this is a spiritual act of worship. Because in sacrificing that which we want, we're able to ward off the devil. Last, guys, we got to fight the devil confidently. God is supreme in the world and he has made us some very sweeping promises. And as we move out of this place into the world, we should remember these promises and use them as we come into conflict with the suffering and the opposition that we find in the world. We should stand firm with our feet shod in the truth that we find in Scripture. 
And just as Jesus resisted Satan with scripture, we should do the same thing. You want to be powerful in a fight with the devil? You start remembering the promises that God has made to you. When he mocks your weakness and whispers that you might as well just give in because you're going to give in anyway. That old lie, why you got to fight me? If you run, you're only going to die tired. Just give in, it's so much easier. We can move on. You scream in his face. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptations, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When Satan is destroying everything around you, when he tests you and tries you and seeks to convince you that God doesn't care, you stand firm. And you speak Romans to him. God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and who love him. And when, God, when Satan rages against you and shows you his power, you whisper, greater is he that is inside of me than he that is living in this world. Through God... In Christ, the devil has already been defeated. But brothers and sisters, this victory belongs to anyone who repents of their sin and receives Christ into their life and declares him to be Lord. And if you have not done this, you will get housed every single time. Some of you are sitting in the audience today. Some of you sitting in the congregation saying, well, I can't ever face down the devil. Oh, the devil always rolls over me. Well, maybe that's because you don't have the power of God in you. Maybe the problem is you've never repented. Maybe you haven't been humble. Maybe you've never said, I'm a sinner. Brothers, God crushes the proud. And you will be crushed until you give your life to Christ in humility. There is no other way. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I'm begging you with tears in my eyes. Come forward, repent, accept Christ and the power to overcome the evil in this world. Because you're in a fight. Every minute of every day. And you need to be ready for it. Please bow your heads with me. Dear sweet Jesus, God, I ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would give us the strength to be able to fight the spiritual forces of evil in this world. God, I ask that you would ignite within us a fire that can overcome sin, death, and hell. God, that as a church, we would be able to lead the people here into a relationship with you that will allow them to overcome that power in the world. And Lord, I ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.